0: First Peter four, one through eleven says this Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, Lord, thanks for the chance to gather together at the beginning of the week, to sing together, to pray together, to hear your word together. So, Holy Spirit, I pray you would just waken up our hearts to the gospel, waken up our hearts to your word this morning pray that you remove every distraction. But God, give us a greater hearts to fight sin and to serve each other. Lord, I pray that you let the words of our mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We've been going through the book of 1 Peter. And we've called the last half of 1 Peter, I, I, we've called it being sculpted by and so last week we looked at the, the sculpture of a solid Christian. And this week, verses 4 through 11, we're just calling this the sculpting of a Christian. The, the book of First Peter was written by Peter, Jesus' disciple, whose name meant rock. But in the Gospels, he often wasn't a rock. He was an outspoken uh, leader of the group who uh, often was not rock-like. But God worked in him, he sculpted him. And he became the rock of the church. And he wrote 1 Peter to a group of people who were struggling, who were being persecuted, who were about to be persecuted, who were having very difficult times. And he relays to them, listen, here's how you remain faithful to the end. Here's how you live as sculpted rocks. He even calls them that we are living stones. And he says, this is the way, this is how we're sculpted. To be the radiant rocks, the examples that God wants us to be. To be like Jesus Christ. But the great thing about the book of 1 Peter is that it is written in the context of the real world. I mean, these people are suffering. He knows they're suffering. He knows that they're going through difficulties. And he says to them these great things. He says from the beginning all the way through, just to kind of catch us up again to where we're at in 1 Peter. He says, this is how to stay radiant this is how to be the rock that god has called you he says first of all that you are secured in verse in chapter one you're secured for obedience to jesus christ and then he says don't get be continually be stunned at the great mercy that god has given you he says blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ according to his great mercy he caused us to be born again don't get over that Be stunned by the fact that God's given you great mercy. Then he says suffering is real, but it's not eternal. He acknowledges the difficulties of life, and he says suffering is to result in praise and glory, at the honor and at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Then he tells us to set our hope on future grace. That what Jesus has done for us is real, which means God's grace is going to be available for us in the future, And he says, because of that, in verse 14 of chapter 1, set yourselves apart. So be different because of that. See yourselves as who you are in Christ. You're sojourners. You don't live here. You're just traveling through in this world. Then he says, set your lives to be ones of blessing through the victory that is found in the good news of Jesus Christ. And that brings us up to chapter 4. If you have struggles this morning, or if you have had struggles, and you woke up this morning still believing in God, still believing in Jesus, that's not because of you. That's because of the grace of God in you. It's because God's in you. If you woke up after a difficult week still clinging to Jesus, it's not because of you. It's because of the grace of God that is in you through Jesus, through the victory that Jesus Christ has won in us. And then we rejoice in that. As difficult as your situation may be right now, if you're believing in God that he's, got, uh, he's working in this and he will work in this, that's because of God's grace on you. And then we are to live out that. That's the victory of Christ for us. and We're to live out the victory of that. 1 Peter 4, 1 through 11 says, We live out that victory to an unbelieving world, and we live out that victory in the Christian community. And how do we do that? And he says, This is how you do it. This is how a Christian is sculpted in a real world where there's real problems, real difficulties, and what may seem like real reasons to abandon the gospel. And walk away from God? He says, don't do it. But here's how you are sculpted as a Christian. He says, since, because of everything we just said about Jesus Christ and his victory, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Arm yourselves with this way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So, what he says for us to do, how do we live out Christ's victory to people who don't believe Jesus? And how do we live out the victory of Christ to and in the church, the community of Christians? We arm ourselves with this attitude or this way of thinking, he says, this weapon. It's the attitude and it's the way of thinking that Jesus Christ had. And he suffered for this, and suffered in the flesh. And what's the attitude that Jesus Christ had? First Peter said in First Peter two twenty one 21-22, he says, For to you you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. So what's the example that Jesus left for us when he suffered? It's this, he committed no sin. All kinds of bad things were happening to him, and he didn't sin it. When the bad things were happening to him, he says, neither was deceit found in his mouth. He didn't lie to try to get out of it. He didn't try to change things to try to get out of it. When he was reviled, Jesus didn't revile back. And when he suffered, he didn't threaten even when it was completely unjust. And Jesus says, that's the example. That's the mindset. that's the, what you're, the same mindset that Jesus had is the same mindset that we're supposed to arm ourselves with. Since Christ suffered, and since he won your victory, when you suffer, arm yourself with this kind of mindset. Paul talked about it in Philippians chapter 2. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He took the form of a servant. And in John chapter 11, when Peter, right before Jesus was supposed to go, Jesus gets with his disciples and he sits them down and he says, Hey, I want to wash your feet. And Peter, who wasn't very rock-like at the time, he says, No, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus says to him, Peter... Peter says, I want want you to wash all of me. I need all of you. And Peter says, Jesus says, Peter, I don't don't need to wash all of you. I just need to wash your feet. And Peter at that moment was so cocky, and he believed that he was going to be with Jesus forever, and he wanted all of Jesus. Was what he was trying to say. But it says in John chapter 11, but Jesus knew that Peter in a little bit was going to deny him. And he suffered in the flesh who's 100% God, 100% human. And here's Jesus talking to one of his disciples who he's imported all this time into and invested in him. And this guy thinks he's all for Jesus. I'm going to be all for Jesus. God, I want all of you. And Jesus knows that this guy is going to deny me. And he shuts his mouth. He doesn't make any snide remarks. He doesn't make any comments. He just washes his feet. You don't think that took some suffering on Jesus' part? Because he know what he's about ready to go through. But Jesus, in his suffering, even in that with his own people, his own disciples, he didn't revile, he didn't deceive, he didn't give a jab in any way. He just took it. And he suffered. All the way to the cross. And Peter says to us, since Christ died, Have that, arm yourselves with that kind of mindset, this attitude, this way of thinking that's going to help you to fight against sin and fight against Satan trying to destroy you. He says, arm yourselves with an attitude then that resists sin. So as to live for the rest of your time, verse 2, in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. He says, listen, you're going to go through life for a long time. You, You may be a follower of Jesus, so live with this attitude for the rest of your time on earth, no longer for human passions, not for your own direction, but for the will of God. Live, arm yourself with this way of thinking the gospel, so Jesus Christ will be reflected in you. As Christians, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we, the Bible says we are called to be mirrors. That's what we are. We're called to be mirrors. They don't do anything, the only thing a mirror does is reflect. And We're supposed to live and our, arm our way ourselves with this way of thinking that we just reflect back Jesus Christ. We're supposed to arm ourselves with this. If you don't arm yourself with this, you're gonna be devastated by what Paul says is or Peter says is coming up. He says because act this way for the time that has passed suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. We are up against. We're in a war against evil, and we've won the victory through. So he says arm yourselves with this way of thinking for the time is past for doing what the Gentiles want to do we're, we're living in a way that is against God that time's past that time for many of you brought shame. I mean I really don't want to go back to junior high. Does anybody want to relive junior high? I mean I had acne like way out of the zone it's off the chart. I don't want to experience that again. It was, in many ways, I look back your junior high years. You just, you just survive them, you know. You just want to get through them. It's not like you want to revel in them because we feel like they were kind of wasted. It was awkward. It was difficult. It was hard. And Peter says, "Hey, arm yourselves with this way of thinking, so you don't go back and act this way." Because the time of the past, the time of living for yourself—if you're really honest, if you're a Christian—you'll say, "What a waste that was." You're embarrassed by it. You're ashamed by it. You don't want to talk about it. You don't even like it when your old friends get together and say, Hey, remember when we did this? Remember when we did this? And back then it seemed fun, but now you're like, Oh, I can't believe I did that. Or why did I do that? How stupid was I? He says, for the times past to do that. So arm yourselves. And then he says, abstain from what brought you shame. And he lists things that as Christians we're called to fight against. Living sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, lawlessness, idolatry. All of things are which a Christian can do, but he's going to be miserable if he's truly a Christian. And he's going to realize that those things are, they, they left there unrestrained. They, they, they make you not satisfied and shows a great lack of self. Control. We're supposed to war against those things. And the way you war against those things is by arming yourselves with this attitude that Jesus said, Paul saying, arm yourselves so you can abstain from these things. But when you do, people will say to you, what's your problem? Who, who do you think you are? Why don't you, why do you think you're better than us? You, 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 you don't want to hang out with us? You think you're too good for us? And you'll be attacked And you'll suffer. And some people have a really difficult time with that. That's what he says. With respect to this, if you don't follow their ways, people are surprised that you don't join in them with the same flood of debauchery. And they will malign you. They will attack you. We're still supposed to stay strong in that. And the way you stay strong in that is by arming yourselves with this way of thinking. I've noticed this recently in the last few years, but I think through social media, I hear often this word of, hey, I paid my mortgage. I'm adulting it today. You know, I went grocery shopping. I'm adulting today. Like, adulting's this big thing. You know, nobody wants to grow up anymore. Everybody wants to stay young, have mom and dad take care of you, or somebody take care of you, but you just don't want to adult anymore. So people adult, and then they tell people, hey, I'm adulting today. You're not adulting, but you're telling people that you're adulting. I think we all felt this way. I just think social media makes it easier to tell people, hey, I'm adulting today. Uh, I, mean, I remember when I first bought my car, the first time by yourself, I actually sent wife Teresa to buy my our first car. I wasn't adult enough to do it myself. She adulted for me when we were first married. But I couldn't tell anybody about it on the internet. But we don't want to adult. People don't want to adult. and people, That's what Peter's saying here. He says, arm yourselves... So that you can adult spiritually when difficulty things come to you. How did Jesus spiritually adult? He did it by standing up for truth. For spending time in prayer. He spent himself to meet the needs of other people. And he set the example of hope. To wipe out guilt, fear, and joy. He didn't join back in when all the pressure was on him. Hey, hey, Jesus, be like us. Do this. Jesus didn't do that. He spiritually adulted. And what we need as a church and as individuals, Peter's saying is, hey, suffering's going to come. There'll be difficulties. People will mock you if you don't live the way they live. But you're not supposed to live that way. Arm your way with this thinking. Be spiritually an adult. Act like an adult by arming yourself with this way of speaking. And there's a great lack of that in American Christianity. We are afraid to stand up and be spiritual adults and say, no, I'm not going to do that anymore because of what Jesus did for me. He won the victory for me. I don't have to live that way anymore. I don't care what you say about me. I love you, but I'm not living that way. Even as adults, people are caving in. We're afraid to say about Jesus, we to speak about Jesus, but to acknowledge. I mean, it's time to grow up what Peter's saying and spiritually adult and arm yourself with this way of thinking. The, the, the top Christian books of 2016 three of them were Christian adult coloring books. That's not going to grow people spiritually. Our culture doesn't want to grow up. Christians don't want to grow up. We don't want to spiritually adult and arm ourselves with this way of thinking. We rather attack back to people, cave into pressure. Even as adults, peer pressure can overwhelm us. Peter's saying if you're going to survive in the world as a Christian because Jesus Christ suffered, have that same way of thinking and arm yourselves, act a certain way that is different. And adult spiritually. And arm yourselves and be this way. And the reason is, because we need to be aware. In verse 5, he says, But they will give an account to him. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. All of us are going to give an account for our lives. That should sober us, all, sober us up to adult thinking. How you live today matters. How you live Tuesday at work matters. How you live Wednesday at work matters. If you take a stand for Christ or not, matters. Because one day we'll give an account, and if your life, say I'm a Christian, I show up at church on Sunday, but the rest of my life is spent going the direction that everybody else goes, You're going to give an account someday, and at the end of that, God's going to say, did you color enough? He's not going to say that to you. He's going to, I told you, this is the way a Christian is. You didn't live that way. You're not a Christian. Be aware that judgment is coming. We have been given an account. We need to see the reality of that. Live in the reality of that. Pray for people that we know in the reality of that. Speak the gospel to people. Love people in that. But the battle is for our hearts and our minds and we're called to arm ourselves with this way of thinking satan wants to blind people's minds i talked to two people about the gospel this week and as i got through the conversation with them i could tell they were listening but then i could tell their their mind and their their direct their, their, their thinking just started to go a separate way and even though as i'm telling them what they needed to hear and then i'm telling the gospel sharing it with them thinking this is good news this is the best news for your life Satan had a grip on their mind. He was just shutting it off. They didn't see it. We need to pray for people's hearts and pray for people's minds and arm ourselves in such a way that the way we live it out to the gospel of the world is that we are with an attitude that resists sin. Not that we are better than anybody because we're capable of every one of those sins, but because we have armed ourselves with this attitude, this thinking that Jesus did. And as we do that, That's how God sculptures us. The sculpting of a Christian is to resist sin. Have you noticed change in your life? I mean, are you saying no? Even if you're 55 years old, are you saying no more to sin? Things that you know are not what God would have for you for his will. Are you seeing that in your life? That's Christian armory. That's Christian growing yourselves. That's to the unsaved, to the world. But Christian also arms himself with an attitude that reaches out beyond himself. And he switches it up. He says, the end of all things is at hand. In verse 7. Be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. And then he moves it to the positive. Hey, this is how you fight against sin. But this is how you react in the Christian realm. With your Christian community. With the church. Arm yourselves with an attitude that reaches out beyond yourselves. Arm yourselves with an attitude that resists sin. And then arm yourselves with an attitude that reaches out beyond yourself. Be self-controlled. Be sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. And above all, he says, keep loving one another. And the above all really means with earnestness. Be ready to go. Like you're at the beginning of the start of a race. You are zoned in, you're focused, all your muscles, all your energy is focused on the starting gun, and you're ready to go. That's what he means with above all. Keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. You have to act in a certain way, even as Christians. And the reason he said this is because even amongst Christians in the community of faith, there's plenty of sin that comes up. There's plenty of things that bother us about other people's attitudes or other people's situations or other people's, the way they handle things. But we are to arm ourselves with this way of thinking that Jesus had, so that when it comes to the Christian community and to the faith community and to our church locally, that we are set to love each other earnestly, knowing that love covers then a multitude of sins. If you have that attitude and something happens, somebody says something to you a certain way, and your desire is to arm yourself, the way Jesus armed himself, and your desire is to love others, every little awkward thing that gets said to you is not going to throw you off. Every little odd comment that comes your way isn't going to hurt you. Because those things can, can't they? Like death by a needle prick sometimes. But if your heart is armed to love one another, you're going to be able to cover a multitude of sins. You're not going to let those things control you. So we need to act and advance in our love for one another. Advance in our love for one another. And then he goes on to say this show hospitality to one another. Without grumbling. I mean, the hospitality part we like, but then it's the grumbling part. Show hospitality without grumbling. You ever invited somebody over to your house like two weeks ago? And you're all excited about it? Then the night before you have them over, you're like, oh man, why did we decide to have them over? Uh, why are we doing this? The church is called to arm ourselves with such a way that we love each other, and then we are to grow in hospitality, which really is having people over, getting to know people in a real way. It's how you cover love. You, you function, not just on Sunday, but gathering to get together to know each other. Our church needs to grow in this. I me mean, encourage you to, as e- as you grow in hospitality with one another, without grumbling, listen, We need to start inviting people over to our homes on a more regular basis. There are single families, young families that could be invited over. There are single ladies and single men that could be invited over. There are family people who can be invited over. This is what the church does. This is what our church needs to grow in doing. And doing it without grumbling. Because whenever you have people over to your house, there's going to be a reason to grumble. There will be all reason to grumble, but love covers a multitude of sins. There's a family in our church who had our family over a little while ago, and one of our they had a great screen door, they had a nice deck, porch, and they shut the screen door. And one of my boys poked his finger right through the screen door, and they didn't get upset. I, I offered to pay for it, or at least I think I did. So whoever comes up to me uh, after church, maybe they want wanting my, the money for it. But I've been back to their house. They didn't say a thing. I've been back to their house since. And I was there one time. I opened the, do- the screen, the, the door to go to the deck. The screen was there. And they had a little piece of patch on their screen. And I thought, I know who did that. They never said anything to us about it. Love covers a multitude of sins. But they showed hospitality to us. And we are called to do that. Listen, the word hospitality comes from the word hospital if you were driving down pratt road this week on tuesday when the storms came and if those telephone poles would have fallen down onto the road onto your car crushed your body and they rushed you to the hospital and you got to the hospital and they look at you and you're a bloody mess and the hospital says no we don't want you you're too messy you can't come in here how would you feel about the hospital but as Christians, church, Cornerstone, listen to me. We're not careful. We're going to become a church that will not be hospitable. We will invite certain people in who aren't that messy to our homes. But we won't invite people that we think are too messy. I don't want them to come into my house. What if they like me? Then they're going to keep calling me. What if they're going to want to hang out more? What if I have to go back over to their house? Where's my free time going to go then? They're going to break something. They break something. That that, that kid's a pain. I have nothing to talk to about that guy. That's what he's talking about because all Christians to all time have felt that way. And Paul says, Peter says, as each, the way you grow as a Christian is you show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And you do it, and you do it. And You invite people over. You get to know them. You love them. You act, and you ask others in to your life. Without grumbling. I'll never forget. There was the church I went to when we were in our early twenties in Minneapolis. About a thousand people. There was a couple named Har and Char Anderson. They were in their seventies. They lived in a little house in North Minneapolis, two bedrooms, very small. And they had people come in all the time. They'd bring a couple couples in at a time. They'd bring us in. And Har and Shar were, I didn't know this, but later on I found out he he was actually pretty wealthy. He'd been a dentist. But they said to us later, we could have got a bigger house. But we decided we wanted to invest in people more than stuff. And when Har turned 80... Char had a birthday gift for him and she sent out all these requests to people all over the country because the church had a seminary. That's why I was there. And, and they said, send, send Har a card. And for five hours, she said, he sat one afternoon and read card after card after card of, card of people who said to him, thanks for your hospitality. Thanks for inviting us over. Thanks for bringing us in. Thanks for loving us. You didn't have to do that. Thanks for loving us. He was a very wealthy man. Church, we need to grow in this. We need to grow in hospitality. We need to not grumble about it and grow in our ability to ask people in. And then we need to do it loving other people. Operate, he says, your abilities for others. As each of you have received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of varied grace, which is in color-filled ways. God's given all of us in this church gifts, and, and together they make beautiful colors. That's what the word varied means. Use your gifts to serve other people. Operate your gifts for and the abilities that he's given you to serve and love other people. Listen, if the dominant definition of your life, when if someone was to talk to you about your Christian life, and you say, hey, um, I used to do this, we used to do that, I used to pray this way, I used to talk to people at work, I used to do this, we used to do this, if that's how you talk about your Christian walk and your service, that you used to, it means right now you're pretty much useless. And what are you going to do about that? Because Jesus Christ died for that. He died for us to not be that way. Arm yourselves with an attitude that reaches out beyond yourself in how you love, in your hospitality, and in your service. Arm yourselves with that, and arm yourselves with an attitude that exalts the glory of God through Jesus Christ. At the end, he he says, In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him be glory and dominion forever." And ever. That's the perspective of the Christians. Chiseled Christians who are being formed into the form of Jesus Christ. Becoming rock solid Christians. The perspective we have is I'm going to do everything not for myself. Because that's how I used to live. Now I'm going to see the suffering of Jesus. The victory that he won. Realize there will be suffering. And in that suffering, I'm going to have the perspective that I'm going to do this. I'm going to love others. I'm going to be hospitable. I'm going to serve others for the glory of Jesus Christ, for the glory of God and for his praise that we would do that. To make him known as an amazing grace. Fiorella LaGuardia. who was the one of the greatest mayors the United States has ever known in, in New York City back during the Depression. He was five foot two, very charismatic. Very colorful guy. They they called him a little flower during his years of being the mayor. He would ride on fire department trucks. He would take entire orphanages to baseball games. When there was a raid, a strike on the newspapers, he'd get on the radio and he'd read the funnies to the kids. One night in 1935, he went to the night court. Showed up at the night court, told the judge to step down. He took over the night court bench. One of the poorest neighborhoods of New York. Just a few minutes there, this lady came up, came up, and said, "Was being charged for stealing a loaf of bread." And the guardia looked at her, and, and she, she said, "My wife's husband abandoned us. We got no food at home, nothing to feed our kids. My daughter's sick, and that's why I took the bread." And the market guy said, "No, you've got to charge her." She stole bread. No matter what the cause is, you got to show her that you can't do this. And Laguardia looked at her and he took, said to her, "I got to charge you ten dollars because that's what the law says." But while he was saying it, he took ten dollars out of his wallet and was paying the fine. But he also said, "But I'm going to charge everybody in this room, which was filled with troublemakers who were waiting for their court date." Everybody in this room is going to um, charge a tax of 50 cents to give to you for living in a bad community. And he went through and he charged all the people in the courthouse 50 cents. So the next day, the New York Times wrote in the newspaper that $47.50 was turned over to a bewildered old lady who had stolen a loaf of bread, and all the people in the courtroom stood and gave a standing ovation to LaGuardia for doing it. That's amazing grace. Which bring and gave LaGuardia much praise. But what Jesus Christ has done for us is much greater than that. That while we were enemies of God, he came down, gave his life for us. Suffered literally and fully and really suffered on the cross. He suffered emotionally. He suffered physically. And he died for you. And he died for me. And then he calls us to himself so that we can live lives that are to bring him glory. And to the degree that we as a church and we as an individual arm ourselves with the same attitude and war against sin. And arm ourselves and work the service of other followers of Christ, to the degree that we do that, is to the, the degree that you will experience the joy that God fully has for you, and you will glorify God through Christ. Arm yourselves with that same way of thinking for the glory of God, because of the grace of God through Jesus Christ.